As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 1. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. 2. Deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. 3. You will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. You're probably sitting back on Christmas morning thinking, what are the Just Baseball Show guys going to do to really like tie a bow on my Christmas? And if you settled on the Oakland A's GM episode, you're spot on. You got Cole too? That's great. Jack Arum, Just Baseball Show. Today is Wednesday, December 27th. First show post-Christmas. Hope you had a very Merry Christmas and you're gearing up for uh, an okay New Year's Eve. I'm out on New Year's Eve. Not a big New Year's guy. Um, I don't want to kill kill vibe or anything. Also, we should say before people shut the podcast off. Also, doing GM for Mets and Marlins. Please don't shut the podcast off. Yeah, yet. and we got to. I know it's in the title. Yamamoto and and Kiermaier. Like yeah. we've got a lot more, but like the yeah. overwhelmingly negative thing is going to be in the middle of the podcast for about four minutes, and that'll be the Oakland A's GM episode. Yeah. We won't be spending much time on that. But the New Year's thing, yeah, I think it's kind of. Just one of those like Hallmark days, even though I know you don't get like cards for it, but it's just one of those things that's turned into like an opportunity to just overcharge people uh, for, you know, nightlife events and things like that. So I try to do my own thing now and hang out with some friends, not empty, you know, the pockets for uh, you know, just a night where it's kind of like any other night, but we just celebrate time passing. So I don't know. I've never been a big New Year's guy, but I do think it's a great reason to go get together with friends and we could always use more reasons for that. So I hope everybody enjoyed their Christmas and enjoys their new year. But yeah, it's not not one of the top of the days on my list in the calendar. Yeah, I need to make sure that I I am fully percent. I, I'm fully like 100 percent charged up for the college football playoff semifinals on New Year's Day. So it's going to be a really relaxed New Year's Eve for me. Uh, I will say I had a great sports Christmas day and Christmas Eve. It was nice to have that NFL slate on Christmas Eve. Christmas Day, couple of takeaways. Number one, your guy Jaime Jaquez, I've been pounding the pavement for him at UCLA for like the last two years, and the dude drops 31 on Christmas. You had to be over the moon on Jaquez for the heat. I love it, man. 31 and 10. He's like the guy that I talk about with baseball where it's like, it's 50 grade tools across the board and fantastic instincts and everybody overlooks them yep. and they end up being really solid big leaguers or really solid, you know, top, top of the league players. So I think that's the really cool thing with him is like the Ty France effect. I always coined where it's like nothing jumps off the page, but there's not a hole in his game and everything's really solid turns into a really good player when they've got the makeup. So I had a blast watching that. That was the only game I watched on Christmas. Uh, I was kind of working on the, uh, the Reds top prospect list. That'll be out on the call up this coming week. Uh, and on just baseball.com, we've been churning through all the team top prospect lists, by the way. So check that out. But yeah, it, it was cool to have the football basketball combination. And I, I have a feeling that uh, Adam Silver probably wasn't thrilled about that. 
the NFL yeah. kind of barging yeah. in on their Christmas on their Christmas Day stuff. But football's always king, man. So f- football took care of business. I know that was, a lot of people were tuned into that. Football is king. I I made sure to take my nap at like four to be ready for that eight fifteen kickoff. And I will say, Otani playing baseball is the number one serotonin source for me when I watch sports. Like there there is no level of appreciation for an athlete and happiness that is equivalent to watching Shohei Otani do his thing on a baseball field for me right now. Mm-hmm. I will say the only athlete that may be close is watching Lamar Jackson play football. Because when that guy's going, oh my God, is it a good time? And, you know, like Brock Purdy this, Brock Purdy that, Niners this, Niners that, whatever. Lamar Jackson, like, dude, he is always worth the price of admission. And the way he extends plays, he is, I think, the closest thing that we've got in sports to Otani right now. Yeah, yeah. You and Ben Verlander, the biggest Shohei Otani fans. I love sure. it. Uh, no, it's 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 true. It's like there's certain guys that just are their own show. And it was like that with Lamar and... That's why I can't wait to see Shohei full-fledged, you know, pitching and hitting in a Dodgers uniform. Of course, when, you know, we talked about it, probably not the number one destination that, you know, we wanted to see him in. But at the end of the day, that spectacle is going to be so much fun. And you know, I don't think we've talked. Have we talked about Yamamoto's? Do you, no, we haven't yet, right? No, I want to start with that, too, because, you know, like this is, I think, the argument. And this was one of the hot button topics right before Christmas. And hey, maybe you sat down for Christmas Eve dinner with the extended family. And if they know you're a baseball fan, it's hey, what the hell's going on with the Los Angeles Dodgers? Because they spent $1.1 billion on free agents this cycle. It was Otani Yamamoto, the extended glass now. But Yoshinobu Yamamoto, 12 years, $325 million, one more million dollars than Garrett Cole got from the Yankees a couple yep. years ago. It it is for a longer period of time, but they're also paying a 25 year old. Uh, it was a lot of money. I don't think anybody is shocked for me to say that it was, you know, huge and maybe an overpay, whatever, yada, yada, yada. What I will say is the Dodgers just did something that I think five years from now, every team in major league baseball is going to be looking at them and MFing if they were in a position to do it. And that is corner a, a market that is corner an area of the world where baseball is king. Do you remember us talking about the household rating for these world baseball classic games in Japan? Like a good yeah. household rating in the U.S. for a marquee event is like 8%. It was near 50% for the world baseball classic in Japan. And they got yeah. the two brightest stars that Japan has produced in the last 20 years because Ichiro came in in 2001 like dude I, I nobody is going to be as big as the LA Dodgers over there it, that is an amazing opportunity for them and, and the reason why I think this was brilliant and you kind of put me onto this this thought here was I mean look at the all the issues that we're having with RSN right regional sports networks it, it's that's where teams bring in s- such a large portion of their revenue and understandably so because it's every day almost there's a game and baseball is unique with the the way that it really captures i think the local audience but with the way that money has fallen through with so many of these rsns you got to diversify your portfolio a little bit and it's hard to just say oh we need more national attention how do we do that or we need more international attention how do we do that not every team has the ability to do that either not every team can go sign the two best japanese players in the in the world and arguably two of the best players in the world uh the way that the dodgers did but from a business standpoint, it's absolutely brilliant because, well, I don't think the Dodgers have as much issues with their RSN. I mean, to be able to, one, now your your network and national value is, is much higher. You're going to get a lot more network games and you're going to get paid out that way. I don't know how it all works with with subscriptions from you know Japan, MLB Network, or MLB TV, how that all works. But I guarantee it's going to result in more money when you have more people watching all over the globe. So just being able to diversify their portfolio a little bit is absolutely huge for them. And I think it's just a really smart and sound business decision. The other thing I wanted to mention is we probably overthought free agency. I'll speak for myself. You can, you can, you can speak for yourself, but I'm just going to say I overthought it. I thought it was almost too obvious to just start mocking everybody to the Dodgers. I saw where the Dodgers were at. I felt like they might be a little bit more careful. I know that we saw the reports of them really pushing forward, but I didn't think they'd push forward this far with some of the core that they have, but Honestly, if you start looking at the financial commitments they have five, six years from now, it's really just the MVPs 
and like one or two other guys, meaning like Freeman, Mookie, and then one or two other guys. They don't have a ton of long-term financial commitments. Now you add you know, the two new signings with Otani and Yamamoto, but it's not like they have years like the Yankees even are a little bit more handcuffed five years from now. They're still owing Stanton. They're still owing Cole. They're still owing Judge. And it's it's more money. Like I, I don't know if it's even like DJ LeMahieu for several more years. Like there's a lot more guys that they're kind of stuck to. I think that that was the one thing that I underestimated was we mocked so many different guys to so many different places. And the Dodgers just always feels like the low hanging fruit. It really does. And I want to say that we got to wear it. Like we didn't mock multiple stars to the Dodgers where who were probably the favorite to, to get him. It just didn't feel like the favorite was going to get them all again this year, but here we are. And, you know, we got to, we got to own that one. We did not, we underestimated the Dodgers, I guess, this off season. I also just didn't want to be boring and predict everybody to Dodgers. Like we normally do, or, or most people normally do. Yeah. I, I do think that I was probably, I don't know, guilty of, you know, trying not to be boring. I think that's probably the way I would put it. Like I was trying my hardest not to be boring, but I was also of the thinking that it, they weren't really going to pay pitchers. When was the last time they really paid a pitcher? Kershaw seven for 215 in 2014, but he was their guy. I was not expecting mm -hmm. them to pony up and give Glass now a, an extension at $27.5 million a year annually. I was not expecting no. them to hand out a $320 million contract. Think about who they paid on that team. Freddie Freeman, guess what? He hits. Mookie Betts, yeah. guess what? He hits. Like Forever. all these big money free agents that they have signed over the last however many years, they have not been pitchers. I don't even think mm -hmm. they signed Granky. Didn't they trade for Granky from Arizona? I think I think they they ended up being the ones that shelled him the, the big oh no no you're right you're right you're right they did they did yeah I think I think Granky signed that huge deal with Arizona and then the Dodgers traded for him because they could take that on they yeah. traded for David Price because they could take that on they didn't pay that big money to David Price they don't pay pitchers so the fact that they went out and they paid three pitchers when we were looking at their rotation this offseason saying mm, Gavin Stone's the five Sheehan's the four Bobby's the three Kershaw's a free agent we had questions. Frankly, I was just thinking that they were going to roll with what they had because they are really good at developing pitching. But no, they went and got three huge ticket pitchers. One of them isn't going to pitch this year in Otani. But man, like if they extend Bueller at any point this year, and it, hey, there is zero insider information coming on that front. <laughs> um, yeah. But if they do like pony up and pay their guy who they developed, who they drafted, that is four nine-figure pitchers that you've got. And again, not insider information, but if Walker Buehler doesn't get nine nine figures, like I'm going to be rioting. Um, I like that's just huge money going to a pitching staff that, frankly, I didn't think was going to dish out any of it. No doubt, no doubt. And also, like I think it was, <laughs> it was one of those things too, where you like, okay, we do a podcast with Walker every week, and we're going to mock every. Uh, every top player to Walker's yeah. to Walker's team and, and just become the Dodgers podcast. Like obviously that wasn't going to happen, but genuinely I think just talks myself into a lot of those other moves that said Dodgers are in a really good spot. I think, I think Yamamoto always wanted to go to the Dodgers. And I think that was always the plan. And I think that was part of the sales pitch to Otani was, Hey, if you defer this money, and again, this is conjecture, no insider information, but if, if you defer this money, we will match whatever offer Yamamoto gets. And that seemed to be what the report was, right? Cohen comes in higher. Yeah, there were a bunch of really competitive offers over 300 million and the Dodgers just topped it every single time. So I think they probably said, we will top every single offer that comes in if you defer that money because we have the ability to. And that's exactly what happened. And think about it. You're only going to have a two-year overlap now of really having to pay Shohei his full, you know, not deferred salary. And then Yamamoto as well. And by then, you know, I don't think it'll hit as hard because of just the, the money maybe not being the same as it is right now. But beyond that, you, they don't have that many other financial commitments because that's legitimately like so long from now that who cares? And so dude, it, it's a really cool spot. It, dude, I mean, Yamamoto has player options in 2029 and 2031. So there mm -hmm. are two opportunities if Yamamoto is throwing well to go do the Darvish thing where he opts out of a long-term deal, signs another long-term deal to kind of like stat pad or, or I guess just pad up the years of, of financial security. So there's more than a non-zero chance that Yoshinobu Yamamoto is not in Los Angeles for the entirety of that deal. I think he opts out too, because one, I think he's going to be that good, 
right away. And two, it's the perfect time. I mean, there's a reason why that opt-out is after the 2029 season. He'll be 30. 30 years old. Really, let's assume that he has four or five great years. He's going to get, he could get another massive, massive contract. And remember, yeah, he might not get 300 million, uh, but he's going to get a higher AAV, as you mentioned, like the multiple you know, big deals like you Darvish got. In five years, 27 million is going to be a bargain for Yamamoto if he pitches the way that we think he can pitch and the way that I think most people think he can pitch. He probably opts out. We'll see if the Dodgers retain him. But yeah, that's a big part of it as well. And, and I talked about that. Like Peter, we got to mention, nailed the contract, I think almost to like the, the dollar. Like he was, I think, within you know a million or two. But when we talked about that, I said, if it's that big, if they're giving them that, if, if it's going to be one of those deals where it's that long, I do think that there's going to be some opt-outs in there. And sure enough, we, we got two opt-outs. So first of all, Peter was right. I think I came in at like 275. He came in at 320 something. And here we are at 325. But I do think that it doesn't even end up being a $300 million deal because I think there's a good chance he opts out. But it's a great spot to be in for a pitcher. God forbid it doesn't go well. You get hurt, whatever it may be. And always opt back in and, and keep making your money. Uh, and it's cool that he can have that other opt-out maybe two years later if he's on the fence and if, if he bounces back or whatever, off of an injury, whatever it could be, can opt out again in 2031. So 27 million AAV for a guy that could be a top five pitcher in the game, maybe better than that once it all comes together. It's a pretty darn good bargain, even if you have to uh, fork up 50 million in a signing bonus and uh, cover the posting fee, which will, I think, average it out to what, 425 million. Uh, It's still, you know, you got to feel pretty good about this get. And like we always say, not my money. So uh, Dodgers fans have to be over the moon, I'm sure. Glad that it's going to a player. Uh, last thing on the Yamamoto deal before we get a little bit deeper into some of the other transactions and we go more rapid fire through those. Um, I, I'm blanking on where I read it, but I know you read the same thing, so you might be able to remember who had it. Uh, but Brian Cashman, his final offer to Yamamoto was at 300, right? Yeah. Part of his reasoning was he didn't think that a pitcher should be paid more than Garrett Cole, who signed the most lucrative deal in major league history for a pitcher. He didn't think that, you know, that was okay to give another pitcher more than Garrett Cole, because it is symbolic of, Hey, Garrett, you're our ace. You realize like these contracts are changing every year, right? Brian, like we can't do this. If you're not going to sign a pitcher for more than $324 million, you're going to be really starved on pitching for the next decade. Also like, it was, it's totally different AAVs. And also it was years ago. You put the point perfectly here. First of all, it was several years ago that he signed that deal. Second of all, it's entirely different AAVs. Garrett Cole's making 36 million per year. Third, how often do you see, I mean, there was a span for a couple of years where every time a new NFL free agent came up, it'd be, this guy is the highest paid corner in NFL history. And you'd be like, what? Like this Pretty good corner signs a new deal to make himself the best corner. Like Xavier Howard, let's say, for example, like he's been really good through stretches, but he signs a deal to make him the richest corner in NFL history, which lasts for maybe like six months until another guy signs. But then everyone's like, whoa, highest paid ever. Yeah, it's just because he's really good and he's the first really good guy to hit free agency in this new wave of just massive money. It's always going to be that way. If, If Garrett Cole is the kind of guy that throws a hissy fit because their team added another really good player, like that's weird. Second, I just think that was a cop-out answer. And I don't blame them. If he just said I wouldn't go over 300 because he's, I think that's a lot of money for a guy that hasn't thrown an MLB pitch, I side with that. I think he's phenomenal. And again, you can see a lot of different write-ups I've done on him. Like, I think he's fantastic. I think he's an outlier in a lot of ways. But come on, like, let's not pretend that like it's it's some sort of figurative thing. I, I don't think that's what it was. I think it was, hey, we don't want to go over 300 for this guy. I barely thought the Yankees had the capacity to really do that right now with some of the financial obligations they have. So I just think that was kind of a cop-out and a weird one. And I think he was trying to be like, it was a virtue signal of like, Cole's our guy. And it was yeah. just a good way to take a spin a positive out of a negative. If they just said that I think 300 was the max and we didn't want to go above that for a pitcher when we already have a $300 million pitcher, that's fine. That would be a fine answer. And I would understand that. And if they go pivot and sign Imanaga or somebody else, as a Yankees fan, you shouldn't be pissed. I'm not a Yankees fan, but I wouldn't be pissed. I just, I hate that figurative BS. Like just call it what it was. And it's GMs and politicians and big market GMs and politicians have plenty of overlap. Uh, Plenty of overlap. Yeah. Um, Heyman had it. He, he said, I guess the Yankees front office was 
of the thinking that no pitcher should be paid more than Garrett Cole. That was the exact wording in that Yahoo article. And I'm just like, yeah, no, we can't be doing this, man. Because, you know, hey, you signed Xavier Howard, you're not going to sign Jalen Ramsey. And and look who's got both right now. Yep. Uh, yep. Ridiculous. Quickly through some other headlines. Uh, the big one from Christmas Eve was Mitch Garver to Seattle for two years, $24 million. And I think we were excited to see that because it was seeming more and more like Seattle was not going to be the big spender. When they were clearing payroll, we were thinking, oh, they're getting ready for a big move. And then enough time passed to the point where we thought, oh, man, they're just trying to downsize their payroll. Like, they're just trying to cheapen up a little bit, and Mariners fans should be pissed. Now they go and make a massive upgrade in the quote-unquote backup catcher department. Mitch Garver's not a backup catcher. He'll DH, he'll, he'll do whatever else to get his bat in the lineup. But you've got Pop in Garver and Raleigh in that lineup now, and you replace the Tom Murphy role with Mitch Garver? Mariners fans should be over the moon with this right now. So I agree. And I think the biggest issue for Mitch Garver has been health, right? We look at since the start of really his entire career, we just go all the way back to his entire career. Gets called up in 2017, plus 23 games. That's fine. I can't use that against him. 103 games in 2018 with the Twins. Great. 93 games in 2019. Shortened season in 2020, plus 23 games. 2021, 68 games. 2022, 54 games. Last year, 87 games. It's that's been the challenge. He has a career 123 WRC plus. The defense has continued to to kind of go downward, and it's at the point now where he's pretty much only catching in emergency situations or you know once a week here and there you know to to spell Cal Rally. But this guy has a 123 WRC plus in his career offensively, and last year he was phenomenal. I mean, we saw great offense in the postseason all the way through, and in those 87 games, he had a 138 WRC plus, 273, 7500. Slash line. Very, very good. He destroys lefties as well. I think something else that they kind of needed. I look at it and I'm like, okay, yeah, Tay Oscar played a little outfield, sure. But I think he can give them much more production than they got from Tay Oscar last year. And maybe what they would have got from Tay Oscar if they kept him going into next year. Like if this guy's healthy and now not catching anymore, so that should help him health-wise. He did still catch 28 games last year. If he's not catching at all, or at least just a couple times a year, once or twice a month. I do think that this is a guy that could play 120 games and could hit 30 home runs like he did back in 2019 and 93 games, by the way. So I love the pickup. I think it's one of the best ways to find a good value bat because I think people are kind of stuck on what the image is of him between the injuries and him not being a catcher. Yeah, This guy's a DH is better than a lot of DH options out there right now. You could make the case that offensively, he has more upside going into next year than Reese Hoskins coming off an ACL. And you know a lot of people would be very excited about adding a Reese Hoskins. I love what Garver brings to their lineup. He definitely elongates that the, the power that they needed in there. And I think, again, I think he gives them more offensively than what Tay Oscar will do next year. I would take a Mitch Garver WRC plus over Tay Oscar, which would have been crazy last year because we were expecting Tay Oscar to be that guy for them. Yeah, we were totally expecting him to be that guy. Uh, last thing on on this one, six through nine is still not good. Like objectively not good. As of right now, the projected opening day lineup is Cade Marlowe in left, Canzone in right, Luis Arias at third, Josh Rojas at second. That's not good enough for a team that may want to win the AL West. We wouldn't know it by their moves so far. But one through five with Garver added looks a lot better. And it would be J.P. Crawford leading off at short, J-Rod is the two-hitting center fielder, Mitch Garver batting third as the DH, Cal Raleigh is the cleanup man and the catcher, and Ty France batting fifth and playing first base. I yeah. feel I say way better about that. Oh, so yeah, I agree. I do too. And the last thing I'll say is Solaire was a name they were attached to. Solaire's mm-hmm. going to command probably double that, maybe more. Yeah. And I'd rather have Garver and then go get another outfielder. And I think that might be what they're doing here. So you get Garver, fill that DH role. Solaire can't play the outfield, man. Like, talk about injuries. When he plays the outfield, his back gets jacked up, so he pretty much has to play DH more than than ever, and he's a bad defender. Use that money, as we talked about, maybe to go get a Jock Peterson, go get another outfielder, and now all of a sudden, that lineup's elongated a little bit more, and as you mentioned, I feel a whole lot better. Yeah, Peterson, if they don't go and get Jock Peterson, who else makes sense on this free agent market? Like, a Tommy Pham, a David Peralta, those could make some sense? I would love Tommy Pham there. I think that's a great option, and and Pham's going to be a guy that I think has plenty of interest and may want to 
kind of stay at least somewhere on the West Coast because he did have some success there. I think there's a lot of different guys that still would be cheaper and and be good options compared to what like one Solaire would be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I am interested to see which direction they go. But uh, I, I I thought Guriel could have been interesting, but I think Jock or you know anyone you mentioned like. I think anyone's an option compared to Marlowe and whatever else they might be working with. But yeah. I think, I think fam could be a, a great piece for them. Cool. Um, circling back on another pre-Christmas move. The original report was four years, $21 million to San Diego for Yuki Matsui, the Japanese closer who was one of the better closers outside of major league baseball over the last several years. Uh, he can run it up to what the high nineties. Uh, and he's got, I, I think mostly, mostly like 92, 94, maybe sneak a six. Okay, got you. So we'll call it low to mid nineties for Matsui. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, like the profile is unique, right? It's it, high. It spin. plays. It plays like upper nineties. Exactly. Okay, got you. So, so it's it's twenty, dude. He gets like twenty four, twenty five inches of induced vertical right. break, which would yeah. lead Major League Baseball of, among any qualified pitchers. And it's it's legit. Like it just carries over barrels. Uh, and then an insane splitter. He's going to be a really good relief piece for them. And I think they're looking at cash flow, right? The Padres. Yeah. So they go more years so that he's cheaper AAV. Probably a good move because I, I think at the very least, he's a seventh inning guy, but I think very likely he's a high leverage guy that can pick up saves for them. Yeah. So the original reporting was four for 21. It's now five for 28. Um, did the Padres, like, can they do that? Should they be doing that? I don't think they should be. But what is the AAV for that? Five for 28, so like five and change? Yeah, five and change. I think it's actually it a little elevated from four for 21. Yeah, is it backloaded? I don't know. Let me check spot track to see if he's up there yet. Because I, I do wonder, I mean, look, if, if money is tight, like the, the, like we think it is and like they say it is, I do think it's a little bit surprising, you know, to go that route. But maybe they feel like that's the one bullpen move they need to make. He can go multi-inning relief. He can be this kind of Swiss army knife for them or be their closer. And that's going to be way cheaper than any other closer you're going to add. I mean, you see the going rate for, for closers at this point. So I do think that at the end of the day, it's pretty good value for them. And they figure like, even if you trade for a reliever, how many guys out there are going to be cheaper than that? You'd have to give up a King's ransom for class a, and he's still going to be making more than, than that, or at least somewhere around that. So I think from that lens, they must be really, really high on him. They've done their scouting internationally, clearly. And I think they feel like this is a really good value deal. If and I don't, I don't disagree with that. But we'll see yeah. if they, if that was like instead of maybe some other moves that they could have made. Yeah, he's 28 years old, so he'll make 5.6 for the next five years. Um, first three, no opt outs or anything. Player options uh, at 5.6 in his age 31 season and 32 season. I haven't seen this clause before, but I I can't say that I like it because it's somewhat sinister. Uh, but a contract note on spot track is 2028 season, which is his second player option of 5.6 2028 season can convert to a $7 million club option. If he suffers a serious elbow injury during the life of the contract, I've never seen that note before, that's crazy. but that's some insurance that I don't want to speculate, but that sounds like something could have popped up in the medicals. No, like that doesn't sound does. like something you just put out of nowhere. Right. That uh, in 2023, it could be something. Yeah, maybe in 2023, maybe it's the new norm. But I'd I'd wonder if something popped up there. That is a weird cause to have, but Bizarre. I get it. And I don't I don't like the precedent that that sets though, because now for players, you know, it's a slippery slope. How yeah. much protection, quote unquote, are we going to give these teams from inevitable elbow issues? But that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Uh, two more deals, real quick, before we go. Uh, kind of rapid fire through one, and then we spend some time on two GM episodes. Uh, we've got A's, Mets, and Marlins coming up. But before that, Kevin Kiermeyer goes back to Toronto for one year, $10.5 million. He just needed to see Otani sign. He'd needed Otani yeah. to set the market. And now Kiermeyer is right back home in Toronto. He's from Fort Wayne, but um, they liked him in Toronto. And, and I think he made it clear that he was interested in returning. Now he's financially incentivized to return and it takes Toronto pretty much out of the Bellinger sweepstakes. I think they've come out and said that they are not out of the Bellinger sweepstakes. I don't think it makes any sense for them anymore. Kiermaier is going to play center another year. If can Dalton Varsho in left field instead of center field, which is stupid. But do you, do you think there's any it. shot? that Cody Bellinger is a Toronto Blue Jay in 2024? No, not at all. 
and I also hate it. Yeah, I, you have Kevin Kiermeyer at home. You, you literally have Dalton Varsho, who I, I think on the low end is Kevin Kiermeyer. I know Kiermeyer was better offensively last year, but I think Kiermeyer will be a little bit worse than he was last year, and I think Varsho at the very least will be a little bit better than he was last year. Varsho is one of the best defensive center fielders in the game. Like, how much do we? How many times do we have to talk about that? He's better in center than he is in left. That happens with a lot of guys. Their reads are a lot better. Why would you then take him to left? And now you could have had Varsho in center who's going to play the same defense. I think give you very similar offense and go get a corner bat that can actually hit for you. There's a chance Varsho and Kiermaier are below average offensive pieces. And now you have Varsho still great left, but slightly subdued in left. And then Kiermaier is a, a great defensive center fielder, but not what he once was. So you are actually putting your better center fielder in left and have two lesser offensive options. I would have loved to have just seen them go for a, a corner masher or, or even like a Guriel, bring him back. But if they didn't want to do that, like just someone that could swing in a corner and, and give them a little bit more offensively. I, I genuinely did not get the move. Don't like the move. And I'm really starting to struggle to understand what the blue Jays have been doing and what they're doing. And that's for, again, for another time, but I think they're starting to put together a pattern of, of head scratching moves that I think you look going into next year. If, things continue to, to go the way that they've been going, you know, the last couple of years might be time to clean house. Yes. I, I said it at the end of this past year, I think they might be closer to a teardown than we wanted to admit. And the Otani plane saga was fun because it felt like the blue Jays were going to spend big and they were going to look for sustainable success. The Bellinger idea was fun because it looked like they were going to look for sustainable success but when Bichette's up and Vladdy's up, what are we doing? Like Chapman's off the book. Like there's nothing really there. They've got three no. more years of Gosman, if I'm not mistaken. They got five more years of Barrios. That's not enough to warrant holding on to pieces. That can't sell anybody. It's, hey, we've got a guy that was terrible in 22 that was way better in 23 that is, you know, looking to replicate again. And then we have a top 10 pitcher in baseball in Gosman. Like, yeah. come play with us and try and win a World Series. This lineup, unfortunately, is not good enough to win a World Series right now. Like, they needed yeah. another star. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say is, look, the Manoa situation, I think most of the the onus is on Alec Manoa for the way things went. But if I'm an owner, I'm looking at that, too. I'm like, the, the, there's some of that's on the front office, right? The way that it was handled was, was not – it was not handled well. It's just that simple, like in uh, by all parties. So there's just a lot of things. You look at the, the management and the way some things were handled, you know, in the, in the postseason. I just, there's things that are piling up now. And if it doesn't happen for them this year, I wouldn't blame ownership for starting to get pretty impatient with, with the way things have kind of been operating there. Yep. Uh, last one went down on Tuesday, the 26th. It was a weird one. It was two quad A guys, if you want to call it. Cleveland and the Yankees made a deal. Estevan Florial goes from the Yankees to Cleveland for Cody Morris. Morris was a spot starter at times. Uh, he's more a swingman, a multi-inning reliever. Yeah. Florial was once untouchable as a low-A yeah. masher. And I think it was what Reese White, who, who did some great uh, prospect stuff for us this past year, tweeted out, a guy that can't hit for a guy that can't throw strikes. It's more than that. Morris is a capable reliever, I want to say. Like, he bolsters that Yankee bullpen. Um, Florial, does he add anything to the Guardian fold? He adds a chance at being, you know, a center fielder for them. Miles Straw, I mean, think about that, what they were getting from Miles Straw. Nothing Florial, could, you, you could platoon those guys. Florial is, I, I'm not 100% giving up on that guy. I know that it's looked really ugly. It's birds. He swings and misses a ton, but he's a plus runner. He's a good defender in center field. He's super patient, so he walks, and he hits the ball hard, like really hard. So he could be a three-true outcome, good defensive center fielder, maybe a platoon piece. Two guys that just needed a change of scenery, and I think actually could be big league pieces. Floreal, you're starting to wonder how many chances this guy is going to get, but I think you know, it's just been few and far between for him uh, with the way the Yankee situation is, and when he gets up there, he just hasn't handled it. Maybe a smaller market helps, as once being that high-expectation player and a lot of pressure there. And then you look at the the Cody Morris thing. I I love it. I, I think for the Yankees, this could be the next Yankees. They've had so many of these, but another Yankees bullpen success story. Morris has crazy stuff. 
fastballs 2500 rpms and the 94 95 changeup is plus maybe plus plus and a nasty cutter I, when when he's anywhere near the zone it's 30 plus percent strikeouts it's just the command and injuries have held him back this could be a yankees bullpen success story and then for the guardians maybe they found a, a fourth outfielder here that you know if miles straw is really struggling can come in and give them some thump they've been looking for thump this guy's going to run into some baseballs at least in Florial. If only they had Will Benson or Nolan Jones. Hell, if only they had Will Benson and Nolan Jones. Yeah, it's funny. They they strayed from the three true outcome guys, and now they're picking up a three true outcome guy. The difference is this guy can play defense, doesn't hit nearly as well as the other two you just mentioned, but maybe they're learning from the mistakes a little bit. Dude, I mean, the shoulda, coulda, woulda. If you, if you had one trade that you can redo, ah, uh, no, that that's not no. good because Junior Caminero would be the answer. Yeah. Uh, but if you could redo Benson or Jones, who are you redoing? Jones. I like Benson, but he's more limited. I think Jones is an everyday player, and I think he's honestly more athletic too in the outfield. As, as crazy as that sounds, he just moves a little bit better out there. Jones is a stud. Like, he can hit. Yeah. Uh, Benson's going to be power, walks, no D. So, I, but yeah, it's, Junior Caminero is the one they, of course, want back. They traded him for, for nothing, but – yeah, Guardians front office sometimes, man. I mean, this it's they they do a lot of good, but you know, it's it, there's yeah. been some head scratchers too. Like I think Bobby Bradley just jaded them. I I think they look at all those guys and it's like, oh, you're just Bobby Bradley again. We can't do this, yeah. and you yeah. can't think like that. You can't play scared no. like that. Got to give Nolan Jones a shot, and uh, Colorado did, and he looks like an everyday player for the Rockies. Okay, A's first, then the Mets, then the Miami Marlins. This is going to be fun. Before all that, quick break. Let's get it out of the way. The Oakland A's. <clears throat> uh, I don't need to tell you what the CBT threshold is going to be because they're not going to get close to it. I will tell you, last year, their payroll was $62.2 million. They are at an estimated payroll of $57.3 million this year. I would not expect that number to go up. They may be done. We'll be very clear about that. So far, they have traded Chad Patrick to Milwaukee for Abraham Toro. They get some infield depth. They signed Miguel Andujar to one year, $1.7 million. They sign Osvaldo Beto. They're just attacking the Pirates for one year and a little under a million dollars. They signed Trevor Gott to one year, one and a half. Minor league free agent deals with Daz Cameron, Hoy Park, Drew Lugbauer, they acquired Mitch Spence in the Rule 5 draft. They non-tendered Kevin Smith, and they got bitched out by Trevor May on his retirement Twitch stream. That is the Oakland A's offseason so far. We're going to go position by position, but in terms of fart noise to, oh my God, I need to go to the bathroom and I need a change of pants. How bad of a situation are the Oakland A's in? Well, first of all, shout out to Trevor May. That was awesome. His content, by the way, has been so cool. He's just, he seems like a cool guy. A guy I'd love to get on the show at some point. Um, I loved what he did, just kind of ripping them to shreds uh, yeah. and, and, and deservedly so. It's bad, man. It's a little bit better than last year, I think, because I do think they're going to go get one or two more guys. We'll talk about that. And I just think there's a little bit more depth because you have some rookies that came up that showed pretty well. You have some... I think the backups are just less terrible. Like Kevin Smith would be the worst player, I think, in the starting nine. So that part is is encouraging. Uh, and that was a guy that was like getting a lot of reps for them. It's less horrible. I, I do think that you could talk yourself into this lineup not losing 100 games. But the problem is going to be the pitching and some other things. I, I, I can see the direction that they're heading in in terms of trying to build you know, a, a better system and some controllable young pieces. But at the same time, they just... Haven't done as well as they should have on the trade, specifically with the Braves. They they haven't really cashed in on guys that they should have cashed in on the on the in the past. They don't really have that many pieces that they can cash in on now. We'll talk about some of those guys. And you know, the system's fine. So it, it's it's not a great spot, but I'd say it's slightly better than last year, which is not saying much. Yeah. And I think that they have found guys that have overcome some odds where they were the odd men out in certain organizations. And they've gotten an everyday shot, and they have solidified themselves as serviceable major league bats. I'm talking about Brent Rooker. I'm talking about Ryan Noda. Uh, Zach Geloff, that that didn't really fit him because he was a true prospect. But 
Um, you know, Esteori Ruiz, it was like, hey, where's this guy going to fit in? He's an everyday center fielder now. Is he an everyday center fielder on most teams in baseball? No. Uh, but is he okay in the Oakland situation? Yeah, for sure. So position by position, we'll start with the hitters. Shea Langoliers and Tyler Soderstrom are the catching tandem. That's a good and fun catching tandem. Yeah. Um, it doesn't warrant like A's baseball on TV every night, but uh, I'll check in on on Langoliers and Soderstrom. I still believe in Soderstrom too. Like he was 21 years old and struggled. Uh, he's got big power. I think a pretty decent field to hit too. And and I I think he's a really good prospect. And then Langoliers has just proven to be that classic power swing and miss, but good defender. I, he didn't grade out great, but I still think he'll ultimately be a good defender. They're yeah. good there. That's probably their best position in, yeah. in a vacuum. They're hanging out. Notice at first base, you can have Soderstrom fill in. You can have Jordan Diaz fill in. Miguel Andujar fill in. Cool. Second base, Zach Geloff, you run with it, especially with yep. the Ledmus Diaz as the backup. Cool with it. Daryl Arnaez as the projected opening day shortstop. You like it? I do. He's awesome. I, I think he's actually a really good player. He, he might have some growing pains. He's 22. He was traded for Cole Irvin, if you remember. Yep. Stupid trade by Baltimore. This is what happens when you're paralyzed and and don't you know make the big trades that you want to make and you try to work between the margins. Instead, you trade a pretty good prospect who blossomed into really solid for Cole Irvin. And that's what happened. So I'm glad that the A's pulled that one off. I don't usually root for the A's, but if it's going to be with Baltimore just being boring, I, I like it. So I think Arnaez can be really good. Cool. Uh, third base, some assortment of Toro, Aledmus Diaz, Jordan Diaz. It's not good. Um, Jordan Diaz is still just 23 years old. He played 90 games this past year. Yeah, he OPS 640, but he's 23 and a young 23. I think in terms of pecking order, you should give Jordan Diaz every shot. And if it doesn't work six weeks in, then you start, you know, pushing Toro into that everyday role or maybe Aledmus Diaz into that everyday role. Hell, I think you're paying Aledmus Diaz $9 million this year. That's the craziest part to me. Like, why? <laughs> why did they do that? I don't they could have put given that. If you don't want to spend money, like, why spend it there? Um, yeah, that That's a tough one because Diaz, like, I'm trying to identify spots where it's like, where do we not want to play young guys that we could just plug and play a flippable piece? I think third base is the best of the options because he was really bad defensively there. And I do ultimately think he's kind of first base. Maybe you hide him in a corner outfield. Maybe you put him at second base. So I think he's going to kind of be this like utility bat that still ends up playing a good amount. Jordan Diaz. Diaz. Yeah, I do. Because, you know, Noda, I think you don't play him against lefties. You probably, I think you could probably put Diaz in on the, the left-handed at-bats there at first. And then you could probably play him a little bit at second base or a little bit in the corner outfield. Kind of just play a little bit all over. But he was bad defensively at third base. So I think he kind of ends up being that bench bat that I think could be a good piece if he hits enough. But I do think that maybe third base ends up being the position where we look for a flippable guy. Do you, they need to add one bat that's flippable, I feel like. They do that every single offseason. They yep. did it with Aledmus, but Aledmus is probably going to be the guy that plays short if Arnaiz isn't ready. Do you feel like they could go get a third baseman? I think and, they can. Potentially... Yeah. I think they can, especially because I'm not touching the outfield. I actually think the outfield is like trafficy enough where you've got some assortment of – Esteori, Esteori is going to play center, but you have some yep. assortment of Blade, Seth Brown, Brent Rooker, Miguel Andujar, and Lawrence Butler. And I think those five can handle those three spots, the two corners in the DH, no issues. I'm not looking for an upgrade there, even though there are upgrades to be had, I'm not going to do it. Third base, I, I do like that your eyes went there because um, a Gio or Shella could make some sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at guy, Brian Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, Guys that just like if if it works out, you could flip them. I, I think BA makes a ton of sense because he's a good defender. Um, you know, he's bounced around a couple of teams, hasn't been able to stay healthy, probably wants a two-year deal, and it could be a the Aladimus Diaz deal yeah. or something a little bit less. I two think you probably 17. wouldn't get that much. Sure. I, I think he probably gets even less than that. Maybe he doesn't even pick up more than that. But whatever it is, I think that's a guy that also remember 
BA can play multiple positions. So it allows you to still prioritize your youngsters. Let's say Diaz is raking and playing decent third. Okay, we'll throw him in the left where Bode is and you know move Bode out because I don't think they need to experiment with him much more. Or Bode shockingly is performing pretty well. You put him at third. Like you can put him at different spots. He's capable of playing third and both corner outfield spots. So I, I like Brian Anderson as an option to bring in and and a bounce back candidate that could be flipped. You know who a fun one could be and just like test his health, see what the deal is. Adalberto Mondesi. Ooh, that is a fun one too. Like th- that just seems so A's and it would be really funny if Mondesi swiped like 50 bags in obscurity. He and Este Uri combined for the most stolen bases by teammates in like MLB history and they lose 110 games. Does he play third? No, he'd play short. But or not, I guess he'd be like, like a super utility guy. He'd be a super utility guy. Yeah, because he could probably fill in in the outfield too. He could play some second. Yeah. I, who do you? Th- who, I like Brian Anderson. With? If they yeah. if they sign one, I just I just think you sign Brian Anderson. But like, how yeah. much is Mondesi going to cost? I think one year at the league minimum. He might he might not even get a big league deal. Dude, yeah. Point. So sign out Alberto Mondesi to a minor league contract. Yeah. Let's throw that in there too. Uh, Roberto Modesty minor league deal. Playing AAA, prove you can stay healthy. His PCL numbers would be cracked. If I'm he's so in, so in. Uh, opening day rotation is where I start to get a little nauseous. J.P. Sears, Paul Blackburn, Luis Medea, Joe Boyle, Osvaldo Beto. For some reason, they have Mason Miller in here as the closer and Kyle Muller as a middle reliever. Don't do that, fan graphs. We're going to alter this a little bit. Mason Miller, Kyle Muller, J.P. Sears, Paul Blackburn, Let's call it Beto as the five. Wait, so can you, interestingly, I dug in. I was like, why Why do they have him there? And this is from Martin Gallegos on Twitter. Okay. From session with A's GM David Forrest at winter meetings, A's are looking to a bull, looking at a bullpen role for top pitching prospect Mason Miller in 2024, possibly closer role. I missed this too. Moving back to starting rotation, not ruled out, but club would like to see him get through a full healthy season first. I honestly, as much as I want to see Mason Miller, the starter, I can appreciate just wanting to keep him healthy and on the field because it's, we've seen just the, the, the health issues that he has had for, for years and years and years now uh, on multiple fronts. So I, I guess they're going to try to keep him healthy through this year. I'll get wrecked. Okay. Mason Miller is the closer. I kind of love that closer role then. I had no idea either, just to be honest. I Googled it because I was like, why would they do that? And yeah. um, I found that, that we're, we weren't fishing for uh, Oakland A's or Las Vegas A's, you know, headlines here on, on how they're going to handle their rotation. Yeah. So I don't think so. It, I think at some point it's going to be some assortment of Muller, Sears, Blackburn. I think Joey Estes is going to get a, a decent bit of starts. And then some assortment of Beto, Luis Medina, and Joe Boyle. I think the Medina and Boyle are both relievers by midseason. That feels very Fujinami. Um, yes. They throw hard. Do they know where it's going? Not really, which makes more sense in one inning spurts. So I think they can probably just figure it out themselves internally. The rotation in the bullpen, the rotation is going to be the worst in baseball. Do we want to add a starting pitcher or do we just move on? I mean, I, I, they finally have more options uh, internally. So I do wonder if they really do add anybody I like we could do we could play the game where we just go through a bunch of the same kind of one-year candidate arms all of the names that we've talked about as one-year candidate arms yeah. in other episodes look that way I do think that they should go sign a, a one-year guy who could be flippable uh but you know again you could fly through any names and, and pick one and yeah. I could see them doing that yeah I, I think I'm all right like okay go sign a guy to a one-year deal and then yeah have like them- do we need to say oh Noah Syndergaard's a better fit than you know no. No, whoever else. I do, Yariel Rodriguez though would be like their Fujinami again this year. We talked about him on the call up. Really crazy situation going from Cuba to Japan and saying I'm not going to play in Japan, and then uh, got out of his contract. Crazy stuff. It, it, crazy stuff. Not great command. It's Fujinami esque, and I think that could be the 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 move that they do is like Yariel Yariel Rodriguez. Maybe give him a two year deal when no one else will. Yeah, I like it. So our deals are uh, Yariel Rodriguez to a two year deal. Brian Anderson do a two-year deal. It's called like two years for 10, two years for 11. Um, and then Adalberto Mondesi on a minor league free agent deal because we can. Cool? Yes. Yeah. All right. The New York Mets. This is a bit more fun, still somewhat somber. Um, 
I also don't think it's necessary to give you the CBT threshold for the Mets because they're going to go over it. And I don't think they care even in a retooling year, they just paid $101 million in tax Mm -hmm. penalties, a hundred million dollars. That was more than what? 10 teams in major league baseball this past year. We have actually the number now. So I'm going to tell you how, where that would have stacked up in payroll. The Mets paid $101 million in tax penalties. In 2023, that $101 million marker would have been 23rd in Major League Baseball. They spent more in tax penalties than the Reds, Royals, Nats, Guardians, Rays, Pirates, Orioles, and A's spent in payroll. So messed up. And and it's funny. The irony is the tax penalties go to those teams. Yeah. It goes to the revenue share. So. Yeah, it's broken. Broken system in that respect. So broken. Here's what the Mets have done so far. They've hired Carlos Mendoza as their manager. They signed Luis Severino to one-year $13 million. Joey Wendell, one-year $2 million deal. Austin Adams to a one-year $800,000 deal. Austin Adams, if I'm not mistaken, led Major League Baseball in hit-by-pitches issued a couple years ago. Uh, Michael Tonkin for a one-year, $1 million deal. I've seen that guy bounce around AAA team after AAA team over the last couple of years. Jorge Lopez, this would be a great bounce back story on a Mm -hmm. one-year, $2 million deal. And then the interesting one with Milwaukee. They send Coleman Crow to Milwaukee for Adrian Hauser and Tyrone Taylor. Taylor is outfield depth. He was starting in Milwaukee. He was not a good enough starting outfielder, so they move him. And now he is a bench outfielder. Hauser, I've always had a soft spot for because he is a strike thrower and a ground ball getter. And I think they saw a guy that can be a low stress five slash six for them and Hauser. And it cost them one pitching prospect for both of those things. Who's recovering from TJ. I thought this was an unbelievable trade to pull off because remember they got Coleman Crow and Landon Margot for Eduardo Escobar. Yes, they covered Escobar's salary, but they got two pitching prospects in. Crow was the headliner of that deal. Crow is solid. He's got a, a good curveball, a decent fastball, but the fastball really played up in his first four starts with the tacked ball in double A. Then he goes down with the elbow issue. And so the only sample we had was his four starts where he dominated with the tacked ball. He was the biggest gainer in induced vertical break. Of any player in the Southern League, he saw like a seven-inch jump in induced vertical break. So maybe he made some some slight adjustments to his release, but he also really benefited from the tack ball. Then he went down. So I do feel like they're kind of selling high because he's further along in his recovery. And I, I don't think Crow is a starter long term. If that is a fringe five, they got a depth outfielder in Tyrone Taylor, who's been fine, you know, is in that role. And then Hauser's a guy that can eat innings. He had a 4 one 2 ERA, 111 innings last year. And like you said, he just competes. I thought that was a great trade for them. Um, and, and Hauser could be a guy that you flip if you're you know not great at the end of the year because he's cheap and he's at least competitive out there and it's a fine arm. So they needed someone to, to fill out the rotation, especially with the uncertainty of Severino and, and the health of some of these guys. Quintana's been hurting in the past too. I, I love it. I, I thought that was a great trade. I want to start with the, ro- the starting rotation actually because I, I think that it's it's better than it was when Verlander and Scherzer were missing time last year. We yeah, know sure. what Kodai Senga can do now, and you you have Senga run out on opening day, you feel really confident in what he can be. So Senga is the opening day starter. Jose Quintana is likely the two. Luis Severino is the three. Adrian Hauser is the four, and Tyler McGill is the five. David Peterson is hurt. In reserve, you've got Joey Lucchese. You've got Jose Budo, who's trying to bounce back. You've got Mike Vassell, who looks like he's knocking on the door and can probably provide some innings as a five in 2024. But Senga, Quintana, Severino, Hauser, McGill. It would look a lot better if Yamamoto was at the top of it. Do you think yeah. they go pay a frontline starting pitcher? Part of me says yes. Part of me is is uncertain because I do think that they want a little bit more clarity on some of their guys and, and kind of know what they have. I really like Christian Scott a guy that's really just found himself and maximizes his stuff. Fifth round pick out of UF yeah. crazy life on the fastball command is fantastic. I think he struck out 11 per nine walked like one per nine. So 
he could be a guy finished really well in double a starts in triple gets a rotation spot. I want to see what Mike Vassell can do. I want to see what Blade Tidwell can do. They have a few different guys that I think are worth a look. So it just depends what the Mets plan is. I feel like considering the fact that they are going to try to compete, of course, next year, and we'll see how it goes, but also beyond that in a couple of years, keep building. I wonder if they do go for a five-year deal for any Minaga. Like, I think you could make sense out of that. They do kind of need another lefty. Their only lefty right now is, is Quintana. Quintana. And I think that's a guy that ends up getting shipped out of town potentially pretty, pretty early. I do think they need one more arm because I, I don't really trust Tyler McGill. I, I feel like Hauser should be your five. Severino, I mean, look, there's a very high chance that he's what he was last year or not healthy. And then again, Quintana was hurt most of the year. So the only guy that you really can confidently say gives you 150 innings next year is Kodai Sanga. So I do think you have to get another arm regardless. And I look right at Shota Imanaga. Interesting. I looked at Snell first, Imanaga second. I think Snell, I just feel like that's an investment for now more than Imanaga is, if that makes sense. Because Imanaga, you can have some growing pains. Uh, you, you could probably have a lower AAV. You definitely will have a lower AAV yeah. and maybe could tack on an extra year or two onto that deal. Uh, it's going to be cheaper. It's going to be less of a risk and less of a win now move. I feel like Imanaga makes the most sense for me just from that lens. Cause Snell, I, I imagine is going to command a ton, which yeah. is fine. You could sign him to that seven, eight year deal, but there's a lot of volatility there at that price. I think they're both volatile pitchers. Don't get me wrong. And Snell obviously just won two Cy Youngs. I could see them go that direction. No doubt about it, but I could also see them being a little put off by that volatility and you don't know what you're going to get each year from him. So I know that's the same with Imanaga, but it's cheaper. And what if Snell gives you his best year this year? You're not competing, and then he's not as good the year after that. I just He's a weird one for me that I, I wonder in their position if they get behind that kind of move. Yeah, I, I think that major market teams have the burden of name recognition on them. And I do think that the Mets will certainly have to look at name recognition when they go pay nine figures for a guy. Um, I think that the Yankees have done it, right? There, there are options – Whenever they go and sign a Carlos Rodon, there are other options that probably make more sense. When the Mets go and sign a Justin Verlander or a Max Scherzer, there are other options that are are less recognizable, but are better over four or five-year deals. Like Verlander, they were not going to give a 40-year-old Justin Verlander a five-year deal. There were other pitchers on the market that they could have given a five-year deal to. Um, so I, I do like the idea of almost backloading like the production in Imanaga. But I do think that Snell is an easier sell for a New York market than Imanaga is. Yeah. You know, I just I'm like, is that what you're going to base your decisions now on? Is that what David Stearns is there to, to do? No, you know, it's like not what it's... Stearns is there to do, but I wonder if, if Cohen is thinking about that, like Luis Severino on a one-year deal. There were other arms that were better in 2023. And hey, Stearns may think are better in 2024. Yeah. But Severino is a guy that everybody in New York already knows. Mm -hmm. So I Here, think that's why also, that was a good fit. Does Snell want to pitch there? I don't think he does. <laughs> that's the other thing is I think he's going to get similar offers on the West Coast. And he'll just San do that. Francisco. I'd rather go to San Fran. Yeah, me too. But I hear yeah. you on that. Imanaga. Let's do Imanaga. I think that makes a lot of sense. I And I, John Heyman said that both New York teams are pivoting to Imanaga for what it's worth. So also to play the the Uncle Steve narrative, you think he wants to let the Yankees get that no, guy? He's going to love to outbid them. And he's going to outbid them so easily because, okay, Yankees come in at 100. I'll come in at 130. Done. Easy. Screw it. Yeah. I'm in. Okay. So new rotation. Uh, Senga, Imanaga, Quintana, Severino, Hauser. And McGill is the six. I think that's solid. I think that's really solid. Uh, Edwin Diaz is back healthy. Don't forget about that. And then we, with some of the additions, a Lopez, a Tonkin, and Austin Adams, they're, I think they're done with the bullpen. As of right now, it's Diaz, Rayleigh, Drew Smith, Tonkin, Jorge Lopez, Reed Foley, Phil Bickford. They've got options back there. I think they're good. Offensively, is Francisco Alvarez a top 10 catcher in baseball coming into the year? Yes. He's amazing. Unless – Sometimes I say yes, and then I go through each of them, and I'm like, ah, but I, off the top of my head, yes. Yeah. Alvarez or Gabby Moreno next year? Moreno, but you know you know me. 
Close. you know, you know, I'm, I'm a Gabby truther since like 2019. So yeah, for me, it's close. Like Alvarez is a stud man. And I think he's only going to get better. And I think he's perfect for New York. They already love him. You can tell. Um, the yeah. catching tandem is Alvarez and Omar Narvaez. No problem on that front. First base, Pete Alonso, you have a top three first baseman in the game. No problem on that front. McNeil at second, Lindor at short. Third, Beatty Vientos. Do you want to get better? Let it ride. Let it ride. You need to find out. You need to find out. Because the goal is, I think, realistically, they're not going to win a World Series this coming year. You want to win it the next year. And you need to know what you got with these two guys, especially Beatty. Let it roll. Yeah. I think you have to, especially with like the buy-in from the, I'm thinking so much about the fans. I'm thinking so much about the New York market right now. I got to stop doing that. But like, think about the buy-in that the fan base had to Beatty and Vientos. I think they're already turned against him, but they can win them back within a span of five games. So Beatty, Beatty could be a star, man. He really can. I, he's, you got to give him a little bit more time. I lo- and I, I'm curious if he goes to like a third party hitting coach, something in the off season. I think that's right. what he needs. And and hopefully you know, that's what he's able to do. Cause I do think he has the talent to be a, a really good third baseman. Yeah. You have Joey Wendell and Zach short as is kind of backup options. I like it. Uh, the outfield as it stands right now is Tyrone Taylor and left Brandon Nimmo in center and Starling Marte in right with DJ Stewart as the designated hitter, their minor league options as it stands right now, not that plentiful. They've got trace Thompson, but I ask you drew Gilbert. Do you think he can be ready in 2024? And is there space out there for Luis on Acuna? Can Acuna be ready in 2024? Yes. Gilbert, no Acuna. In my opinion, okay. I think Gilbert's a little bit more polished further along had success in double a. I think that will translate more. So, and I think will be up by the second half of the season. Luis Angel Acuna needs a little bit more refinement. And I think they also need to figure out where his long-term position is. Do you think it's outfield or do you think it's like shortstop? I like, I like his defense at short, but Lindor's there's there. a guy in the way for a long time there. And so, I think probably second base. It's also worth noting Ronnie Mauricio, unfortunately out for yeah. season torn ACL in the winter league sucks. He was tearing it up out there. Uh, you know, my heart, breaks for him I finally was going to get that opportunity this year consistently so I think even from that lens now yeah maybe maybe second base probably makes the most sense you figure McNeil yes they signed that yeah could also move to a corner and I think that might ultimately be what happens here because what if Marte's you know double groin issue just doesn't get any better that guy looks like he's really slowing down it's hard to see um they might end up cutting their losses there at some point because it just might be better for them uh DJ Stewart, like maybe he doesn't stand on his head in the DH role uh, going into next year. So uh, do you add a free agent? I don't think so. I think you kind of see it through with your guys, right? Yeah, I think you limit spending in 2024. I think you try and get that luxury tax penalty to about $50 million instead of a $100 million number. Um, yeah, man, like I, I think you already just spent $100 million on Shota Imanaga. You're you're good. Do you want to sign like a... Do you upgrade the DH? Do you, I don't do you think so. I think you look for another utility guy because as of right now, Zach Short is making your big league roster. I'd yeah. feel better if there was another bench bat, but that's a very cheap guy. Like, I don't, I don't want to say like Eduardo Escobar because he was there and he stunk. Urshela, sure, Urshela, or how about like Danny Mendick was already there. Adrianza, I don't think is big league caliber as it stands right now. Yeah, Urshela is probably the option. Shit, how much money is Whit Merrifield going to get? I was looking at Whit. But he's kind of McNeil, right? Like it's it's kind of the same thing. McNeil's a better version of that. I was. Well, how about like a Colton Wong or an Adam Frazier? Is, Frazier makes more sense, but he's kind of the same thing as as uh, he's like a better version of of Wendell. I think Wendell's cooked, so I I, I think they're going to sour on Wendell pretty quickly. But I think Wendell's very redundant with Frazier. Yeah. You go Urshela. Sure. Why not? Because that way he's also. If if Beatty's struggling, yeah, you need he's your there. safety blanket for Beatty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gio Urshela and Shota Imanaga. We just added to the New York Mets. No bullpen. I I could see them go bullpen, but sure. But like they grabbed they grabbed Bickford. They signed Austin Adams a big like you mentioned Lopez Tonkin. Yeah, I mean they don't they don't really have any more room in that bullpen. 
No, I mean, they could, you know, pony up and two-year deal for Robert Stevenson and DFA, a couple guys. Like, I I don't know. It'll be minor if they do anything in the bullpen. I will say yeah, that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they'll do anything. And also, remember, David Peterson will probably come back at some point next year. Hip surgery. Yeah, hip I'm, surgery. I don't think he's at the whole season. Yeah, I don't think he's out the whole season. So that could be another guy that, you know, obviously is, is you know, an insurance policy in the rotation. Yeah, I like it. Um, we've already gone like an hour plus. So yeah. we are going to push the Marlins a little bit. Uh, we'll do yeah. that probably after the new year. We might do it right before the new year. Or no. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. We'll let you know. Oh, yeah, and I, well, I, I all I'll say is Marlins fans, if you heard that and we're like, whoa, we're talking about the Marlins. I didn't see it in the title because obviously we're not going to put it in the title now. Um, you're probably – You'll probably be happy that we delayed it a little bit because I don't think fans are going to like some of the mock trades. <laughs> like, I don't think they're going to like what, what I think they're going to do and what the most likely moves are going to be, but maybe they will. Maybe it'll be fun. I, I think it's an interesting exercise. I'm looking forward to doing Marlins, but uh, fans may be a little bit disappointed with the direction I think the Marlins are going to go this offseason. The one positive, have you seen what Vidal Brujan is doing in lineup? I have seen what Vidal Bruhan's doing. He's balling out. He's got a 405 OBP. He's 23 for 27 in the stolen base department. 43 games, 23. One, one to 10. One being it is, I don't buy it at all. 10 being I'm sold. How much do you buy what Vidal Bruhan is doing in the winter league? 2.7. That's all right. So maybe he could be a utility guy. Go Marlins. 2.7 way below five, man. I think five is maybe he could be a utility guy. 2.7 is he's going to look great in the shrimp uniform. Shrimp need a shortstop. So shrimp need a shortstop, man. He and Xavier Edwards are Spider-Man meme. Uh, well, they're apparently competing for the shortstop job at the big league level too. So I love it. It's one of those situations where the triple A and the big league shortstop might be the same. So I love it. We'll see how it goes, man. All right, check out our link tree for anything you may need. Uh, this is going to be a good one. If you're looking for an, oh, shit, I forgot to get this person a Christmas gift. Christmas gift? Uh, merch is a great option. We've got that link in our episode description as well. Uh, we will be back in some form or fashion to talk to you guys on Friday and send you in to the new year. Cool? At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.